Welcome to Visionaries Global Media, your number one source for podcasting entertainment. Visionaries Global Media, envisioning excellence on a global scale. episode 37 of the SJP Wrestling Podcast. On today's show, after speaking with one half of the GL2 tag team Roy Stevens last week, looking back on the excellent Survivor Series 2002 pay-per-view, I thought what better way to continue this week with the other half of the GL2 tag team, uh, Mr. Eric Fort Myers. Today, Eric and I are going to look back on the WCW Greed pay-per-view from 2001, the final pay-per-view put on by WCW before they sadly folded around eight days afterwards. That is coming up momentarily, but before we speak to Eric Myers about that WCW show, let me tell you about my other podcast quickly with my good friend Mags, who has numerous other podcasts out himself. Uh, the show is called Chain Wrestling. We have a fun look at a particular match or moment in wrestling past each week. And then from there, we both make a suggestion as to where we'd like to go next that is linked with that week's topic. And the listeners and whoever else wishes to can vote on a Twitter poll each week to decide whereabouts we head. We also have a additional non-wrestling topic every week that everyone can get involved with on the Chain Wrestling Facebook page and Twitter, which is at Chain underscore Wrestling. This week, as an example, the show came out uh, yesterday, as you'll be listening to this on the the Wednesday. And our additional topic was people's favourite kids' TV shows from growing up. So we had lots of discussion about the likes of the Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles, um, Rosie and Jim, Airwolf, Bodger and Badger, and so on. It's a, it's just a good bit of light-hearted fun looking back at various old-school wrestling um, and various other additional topics, really. Uh, people listening basically guide the show. Me and Mags literally just talk about whatever you want us to. Um, please have a listen. Uh, we're getting plenty of amazing feedback on that show, and I believe anyone who does give it a try will enjoy it too that's chain wrestling that's at chain underscore wrestling on facebook and twitter you can find it on the same network the visionaries global media network as the sjp wrestling podcast you're listening to right now via spotify itunes all the good podcast platforms and probably some rubbish ones as well coming up on the sjp wrestling podcast in the next few weeks we are also going to be having a look at wrestlemania 9 we're going to be taking a look at a few different matches with Yestin Reese returning to the show to have a discussion about a couple of matches that he is very fond of and loads more of really excellent guests talking about wrestling that meant a great deal to them or perhaps viewing pay-per-views they have never seen before. Uh, I'm enjoying doing this. I hope you're enjoying listening to this. If so, please follow the show on all its social medias uh, at SJP Wrestling Pod on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. 
and send us some feedback let us know what you like what you dislike help me shape the show to be more of what you want to hear okay uh, that's enough of me waffling on this week thank you so so much for pressing the play button and let's get back to uh looking at old school wrestling this time with eric fort myers and we travel back to 2001 to check out wcw greed as always thank you for listening Hello, brother. This is NWA WCW Enhancement Talent, Randy Hogan, baby. Being in the ring with the Road Warriors, Vader, Abdul the Butcher, Midnight Express and all them guys. Let me tell you, it was dang rough. But not as rough as listening to Cyan Mags on that chain wrestling show, brother. What you gonna do when this pair of fools, Cyan Mags and chain wrestling, brother, runs wild on you? Mr. Eric Myers, welcome back to the SJP Wrestling Podcast. How are we doing? Uh, very well, thanks, Simon. Uh, thanks for having me back on. Uh, how are you doing? Yeah, not too bad, cheers. Not too bad. It's been a lovely sunny weekend. You know, yeah. even though I've not been out and about in it, it's still quite nice rather than you know, staring out the window at rain. It's nice to see a bit of sunshine, isn't it? So, Absolutely, yeah. Trying to enjoy it uh, when possible. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, how have things been for you since the last time we spoke? Um, you know, COVID is looking like we're slowly coming out the other side of the pandemic and lockdowns and so on. I mean, how, how have things been for you? Yeah, well, as you said, uh, restrictions getting lifted. It's still still the hot topic and it's the reason it's preventing us from getting back and uh, getting on with these shows. But um, yeah, I'm very happy to say that obviously work has kept a uh, uh, constant uh, with that bit of normality. And again, with a recent uh, lifting of restrictions on, on, on the gyms and training, uh, getting back back to it and uh, getting into a, a positive routine to to kind of set ourselves up for when the shows are back on. Yeah, yeah. I had your uh, partner in crime, Roy Stevens, on <laughs> yeah. uh, very recently, looking back at the WWF Survivor Series 2002 pay per view. Yeah. Um, uh, when I mentioned you were coming on to discuss a show with me as well, and yeah. I said what we were going to be looking at today, which is WCW Greed from 2001, uh, he said I knew he was going to choose a WCW show. So is this? Uh, <laughs> are, are you that predictable? I mean, uh, explain to me and the people listening why it was this pay per view you, you chose to have a look at today. Yeah, I think we briefly uh, touched upon it before um, between me and yourself. And it was I was watching the WCW side of things predominantly, uh, if anything, through the Monday Night Wars. Um, I was kind of very kind of positive on that side of things. And um, I'll be honest, uh, this was one of the shows that I, I didn't see. Um, so, again, it was a kind of I, I wasn't watching either side at the time. Um, but again, I wanted to see the kind of how it was all finished off, really. Because, um, again, you know, all certain big names which we'll touch upon weren't there. And just really want to see kind of. Was it like a tailspin? Did things kind of just was it was it a train wreck on TV? Because uh, there's kind of questionable storylines going about at times, um, or just you know was it was over exaggerated and was it kind of a kind of a bit, a bit of a seamless kind of drop off that you know, you wouldn't see you wouldn't kind of guess from obviously the the kind of buyout. Yeah, I understand. It makes a lot of sense. I mean, as I said just then, we're, we're looking at WCW Greed from 2001. The last pay-per-view, WCW broadcast, um, the company was sold to Vince McMahon sort of five or six days later, I think. It was was less than a week after this event. We had two more episodes of Nitro. 
um, and then a, a pre-recorded episode of Worldwide slipped out shortly afterwards. And then that was it. One of the biggest wrestling companies in the world, full of history, uh, full of memories for fans, some good, some bad. It was it was no more, which was a big, big shame. And I don't think the wrestling world has really been the same ever since, really. No, no, you're exactly right. Um, it, it was, again, as far as TV goes, it was a very big shock to actually see it happen. And um, again, I was, I was even looking ahead then. I, I watched the show in isolation because I really wanted to see kind of the quality of what was going on. I'm not getting too bogged down with kind of the, the storylines, essentially. I, I had a bit of a general idea of what was going on. But really just trying to kind of get into the show and uh, yeah, see what, see what it was like in its last days. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, that's the sort of thing I think we should be looking at today. We'll we'll, we'll run through the pay per view itself, um, as I do with other guests and the shows they select, and we'll just look at the matches, what we like, what we disliked, a bit of background here and there, I guess. Um, and then from this, potentially in the future, we could have you back on to look at the last days of WCW, the last Nitro, yeah. uh, and really have a bit of a deep dive into literally what happened when it did close its doors. Yeah. Um, but yeah, today, as I mentioned a couple of times already, WCW Greed originally broadcast on March the 18th, 2001, um, replacing the uncensored pay-per-view, which ran for many years previous. Uh, they were trying to sort of brand their pay-per-views with the seven deadly sins, you know, Greed, um, all, all that sort of, sort of wrath and so on. And then they had one actually called Sin, because obviously there's you know yeah. 12 pay-per-views. And, but they never got as far as getting into doing many more of these. Mm. The show aired from the Jacksonville Memorial Stadium in Florida. The attendance on the day was listed online on various sites as 5,030, with only just over 3,500 paying, which is kind of a... Standard practice for WCW at this time. The pay-per-view buys were as low as 50,000. Um, to give a little bit of context as to how much the company had dropped off in the previous two years. And I use two years as an example because in 99, WCW was valued at being tens of millions of dollars yeah. in, in value and everything. And then obviously it was sold two years later for less than two and a half million. Mm-hmm. So we'll use the two years as a, a marking point to, to compare the uncensored 99 pay-per-view, which was broadcast in March, two years previous. Uh, the attendance there was 15,930. So a huge amount more. Wow. Um, the buy rate was, well, they, they sold 325,000 pay-per-views as opposed to 50,000 for this show. And to look on the other side of the wrestling coin, I guess, the most recent pay-per-view the WWF ran at this time was No Way Out 2001, the previous month. That had just over 15,000 in attendance and 590,000 pay-per-view wow. rights. So all of those numbers show the sort of downward spiral the company had been in for... The end from the end of '99 through 2000 up until these early months of of 2001. Um, I think creatively and and actual TV product, it sadly was starting to pick up at this point. Uh, we won't go into too many details, obviously, because we watched this show in isolation, as you mentioned. But I think it was starting to pick up a little bit. I mean, Steiner will come to uh, being world champion. We'll come to him later in in our in our chat. He was yeah. doing a great job, in my opinion. There were some interesting developments going on in the undercard, um, and it sure sure was completely better than what was on television throughout certain months in 2000. Um, just as an overall, then an overall sort of 
uh, scope as to what you saw in this nearly three-hour show. What are your initial thoughts before we start breaking it down? Um, as as things went on, I think I got a more um, positively influenced by it. I kind of had a bit of a mindset, weirdly, because I always want to go into things open-minded. I thought it's, there's going to be things in here I'm not going to like. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to be a bit negative regarding it. That's a really weird thing. So I don't normally even think that way. I want to just go into it and just watch the show. So okay. it, it, again, a bit, but unlike my, myself to kind of even think that way, but through the whole thing, uh, I see it as a positive and there's, there's certain bits in there I really liked, um, which kind of did surprise me in a way. Um, but yeah, over, overall, um, I, I'd say it's a positive, a minor positive, I'd say as a, as a, as a pay-per-view, um, again, we'll go into more detail um, where some things I felt were pay-per-view quality and some things were just kind of good, kind of weekly show uh, quality. Um, but yeah, overall, I think it's still a positive. And you, you think you think with the talent that was there, th- this shouldn't really have been the end. Um, again, the financials and the buy rates, what you mentioned, again, tell a different story to, to that extent. Um, but yeah, it didn't seem like the end of the road for the, for the talents involved. Yeah, yeah. Financially, it was. I mean, they were hemorrhaging money, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. Everywhere you looked, and it, it was going on for years and years and years. The just some of the money, some of the contracts that guys wrestling for WCW were earning. Yeah. Um. The, the likes of Hugh Morris was on a half a million a year at one stage. Yeah. Um, you had the genius Lanny Poffo getting paid. I think it was seventy-five or eighty-five thousand a year. He never yeah. set foot in a WCW ring once <laughs> in the whole five years of his contract. It's just absolutely hemorrhaging money left, right, and centre. Absolutely insane. But I agree with you. I, I think over overall, and when we give it our rating at the end at the end of the uh, end of the chat we're having today. I think overall it was, yeah, just about a positive show. But I also think there are some aspects on there that are good TV moments as opposed to a pay-per-view moment. I think you summed it up really, really well there. Um, Our opening, well, the opening of the show, we get quite a simple intro video hyping up the the main event of Diamond Dallas Page and Scott Steiner for the world title. Um, Tony Schiavone opens the show, welcoming us to the first ever WCW Greed pay-per-view with a tone of voice that makes you think he might have thought there was going to be more, which is kind of a a little bit of a a sort of twang of sadness to me a little bit. (laughs) Um, Our opener was apparently not advertised. It was a bonus match they, they put on. Um, I don't exactly know why. I don't know if there was somebody dropped out or they realized they had more time than they required. Um, but we had Jason Jett versus Kiwi. Um, some really interesting ring gear on both parts here. <laughs> yeah. Some very interesting yeah. looks. Um, yeah. <laughs> what, what are you? What are your thoughts on on this opener? Again, you you look at the card, which I did. I did look at the card before I watched it, and it's kind of I didn't know too much about the guys uh, when I saw the names on there through from ECW uh, from um, you know the WW list. But again, reading into it and then finding out, obviously, I think it's Jason Jett was uh, Easy Money in ECW, which again, yeah, I didn't right, yeah. put it together to start with. And Kiwi, uh, I think it's Alan, Alan, Alan Funk, is it he went by? Yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah, so again, again, you're looking at it and you're saying, well, they're openers because they're not the big names. Um, and so we'll go into it in a bit more detail. But through, through the actual match, I actually, in the end, I really enjoyed it. Some spots in there that are tremendous. 
Yeah, I, I quite enjoyed it as well. I mean, if no one, if anyone listening is unfamiliar with the character Kiwi, I, I strongly suggest you go and check out. Um, well, have a have a look at this pay per view potentially as an accompaniment to um, what Eric and I are discussing today. But also just to seek out Kiwi. He, he's he's a very unique looking individual with very odd sort of spiked haircut, hair sprayed up <laughs> hair, uh, bright pink um, wrestling. Well, not even tights. They're like these big baggy sort of, <laughs> I don't know, very interesting. MC Hammer style. Kind of yeah. Yeah, that's that a good. Phrases, yeah. <laughs> that's a brilliant way of putting it. Um, I've, I've, I think Jet looked very good early on. Mm. Um, also, I've, I've, when I was looking into the guys and, and making a few notes, I discovered that apparently Jason Jet was the only person to have wrestled on the last ECW show and the last WCW show, which oh, kind yeah. of a... I suppose kind of an unwanted claim to fame, I guess. <laughs> I'm not sure, but <laughs> um, yeah, there were some really great spots in this. I, I, I quite enjoyed it. I mean, I thought it started off. <sighs> I wasn't overly excited when they came out. I wasn't overly, I wasn't thinking, Oh great. I'm really looking forward to this, no. um, but they kind of won me over in their sort of 10, 12 minutes or whatever it was. Yeah. I mean, there's some, there's some certainly some good moves in there. Again, I was making notes of these kind of things. And um, again, it was, it was kind of, the awe inspiring, really. I mean, the, I suppose the big move from the whole match, even though there was numerous ones, with the uh, the top rope kind of power bomb into a hurricane runner in midair, mm. which was uh, yeah, that was pretty awe inspiring, really. Um, See, I I actually saw. Sorry, I actually looked at that and I thought it looked horrible. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I thought they only just made that, and I uh, uh, in mid flight for like literally half a second, I thought someone's going to get their neck snapped here because it looked like something kind of that kind of went wrong. Maybe it was a timing mm. issue or something. I'm not sure, but it almost looked like they they started to get it right, then yeah. started getting it wrong, and then quickly rescued it again towards the end. If that yeah. makes sense. I suppose there's always a danger, even if that is a planned move in that in that capacity. I mean, you you, you see the actual move and you watch it. There's there's danger involved if it goes right, and again, if it goes wrong, again, you don't want to think about it. But um, you, you, you imagine that the time they were given to do these kind of uh, kind of set out this match again, they went for it. They definitely went for it, and they were looking to kind of wow people in there in the opening match for sure. Yeah, yeah, sure. And there's also a moment in this that frustrates me quite a bit, to be fair. Yeah, and that's where um, there's a low blow, and it's right in front of the referee. He oh, this comment. is gonna be this is gonna be a subject. I don't want to interrupt you, but this is gonna be a subject for later in the show as well. Yes, it's there, recurring. There, 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 was, there was two low blows in this one. Yeah, and and the referee is literally looking at it and yeah. even comments on it. And you know, I don't understand why that wasn't just a disqualification. I mean, if you're going to do something like that, surely you need to make sure you're doing it without the referee looking, or don't do it at all. It's not necessary. Exactly right. You know, exactly. it's it just absolutely baffled me what I was watching with that. Yeah, well, I agree, and they said it's uh, it's something I kind of noticed in that match because it was by uh, Jet, who I'm guessing was the kind of the face. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, the weird part of it, um, but yeah, it's a, it's an underlying kind of part of the actual pay per view. There's other matches, there's low blows, yeah. and I think there was only one or two, maybe. Again, we'll look back at it, but um, that were actually not seen directly by the ref. So again, that was a bit kind of bizarre really that they'd even think to do that you know yeah i mean to me it comes 
to me it's, it's, it's sort of like twofold one it, it's it's bad enough that it's happening and the referee isn't disqualifying them or giving an out in some way to sort of not have to disqualify them it's mm. just sort of looking at it and it comes across really really poor to be fair yeah but secondly the fact that it's happening again and again and again yeah you know i uh, i would have thought there's moments where you, you speak to the other guys on the card and say, in my match, I'm doing this. What are you doing? Can So you're not doing the same thing for the fans there in attendance or the fans watching at home. They're not seeing the same thing every time new new guys are in the ring, if that makes sense. Exactly. Yeah, you're exactly right there. I mean, it's just something that even yeah, with my matches, you, you, you've got to kind of have consideration for what's going on before and after. Um, so, yeah, it's a bit surprising. I don't know, again, at that level, what they're kind of... Uh, what the set out is with the agents involved or um, who's planning what and uh, what's been decided. But yeah, a bit odd that, um, I mean, the, the low blows in this match, again, they, they shouldn't have been there anyway because it served no purpose mm. at all. Um, so again, they just didn't need to be there. A, a low shot to the gut is fine, uh, especially from a face. It just, uh, a low blow was, yeah, it, it, was, it wasn't required at all. Yeah, very baffling, very baffling. Uh, ultimately, in the end, uh, Jason Jet wins with... I, I can't remember the name of the move. It was like some sort of falling away suplex, wasn't it? He's letting yeah, him go in midair. That's right. That's right, yeah. Um, again, it was it was a good enough opener. I think it did the, did the job that is required. It sort of got the crowd involved towards the end. If, if anything, I think maybe it was a touch long for me. There are a few moments where it was a little bit... They, they almost looked a little bit I don't know like they lost their way for a second or two here mm. and there but that's me being really nitpicky that's you know that's not a big issue I feel like that's me sort of looking for something as opposed to you know something standing out to me yeah uh, I think that that would be the situation they got given their time um, and they get their spots in and getting their, these big moves in there um, so they're, they're going to go out and do that and I think that's a, the, the management was relying on them to do that and just kind of wow the people Um yeah, I mean, I was, I, it's positive overall. Again, it, 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 it surprised me, and again, it uh, got yeah, got me in my seat for the for the rest of the, the show. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's followed up with even more cruiserweight action um, mm. with the final of the tag team tournament to decide the first ever cruiserweight champions. Uh, and we have the combination of Primetime and Kid Romeo facing Billy Kidman and a maskless Rey Mysterio. Um, at this stage, I've noticed that the music, and it was an issue WCW had a great deal throughout their, their, their whole tenure. The music is just all, all over the place. Mm. I, I'm having to turn my TV down when entrance when entrance <laughs> is being made because it's so loud. And then when they start talking again, I have to turn it back out because I can't hear them. I don't know if they've mixed it incorrectly or if it's where certain songs have been dubbed by the WWF or WWE, sorry, because they Possibly. don't own the rights for the network. But the sound is just bloody all over the place for me and that that's not to get really irritating <laughs> but um i mean ray comes out with a very odd sort of half mask on doesn't he i'm not quite sure yeah. what that's all about <laughs> no no i said i'm not sure we wore it other times but again he had been unmasked and uh mm-hmm. yeah that's the way he actually kind of uh worked his matches but uh yeah i'm not sure not sure of the reason for that one no um uh, also billy kidman <laughs> I don't particularly enjoy this look of his in WCW with the sort of tank top and jean shorts effort, but I think the guy is so underrated. Yeah. Uh, he, was, he was fantastic in WCW. He had his cruiserweight title run in the WWF. Um, not long after this, I guess, um, had some absolutely barnstorming matches with Jamie Noble over the mm. belt. And so just so underrated. If, if, if I mean, obviously the lack of, 
I suppose the lack of charisma potentially was what held him back going a bit further. But in yeah. ring, I thought I thought Billy Kidman was superb. Yeah, I mean, when I was watching WCW, I suppose in its prime years, um, it, it was something I yeah, you draw you get drawn to certain people, and I've got to talk about the mid nineties. So I was yeah, kind of in my early teens, and yeah, he, he was one of the ones that stood out. You know, he was in obviously Raven's Flock, uh, kind of a uh, mismatch of you know different wrestlers who had different kind of uh, levels of success after leaving the flock, but he did stand out because of his uh, shooting star press and uh, when given the opportunity, um, really performed um, in his own right. Um, yeah, and he kind of, it was, it was a great addition to the cruiserweights. I think, you know, he could have always gone you know, further than that, but if um, kind of cruiserweights weren't kind of so pigeonholed at the time. Yeah, yeah, he did have a run with... Hogan in 99 when they had the whole new blood faction and I think it was the millionaires club was Hogan's group um and he I think he did actually end up with a singles victory over um over Hulk Hogan I've maybe even been on a pay-per-view I'd have to go back and check so obviously they were trying to do something with him um but it never quite kicked onto the level that they wanted I guess Uh, you mentioned the shooting star press he does one here from yeah. the ropes to the outside that is yeah. just absolutely mind blowing yeah I mean they said uh, he put, landed perfectly as well in between the uh, the two guys uh, Romeo and uh, Prime Time uh, on the outside yes yeah, pretty decent uh, kind of move to kind of have in your repertoire um, but yeah but back then he was he was pretty much picture perfect with it and for his uh, WCW tenure from what I've seen in his matches yeah yeah I think he was I think he was very very good um it is strange, isn't it, seeing Rey Mysterio maskless? Yeah. Even though he he wrestled without a mask for a little while in WCW, there was, I suppose, a year period or so. It is still quite peculiar looking back at this and seeing him without his mask, but with these big baggy pants on, nowhere near as many tattoos as he has now. Um, and I know this is going to sound really, really silly, but it really makes his head look small. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but he's uh, he's got such kind of um, you know young features, doesn't he? And uh, yeah, you know, it, it it does seem kind of out of place. Uh, it's, it's weird to think it because any kind of you know younger fans that watch the kind of current product again, they won't know anything about that. It's kind of a, a long distant memory. The whole kind of a masking situation. He's prominent on WWE TV right now in 2021, and obviously he's been in his mask obviously for pretty much the whole run, obviously in uh, WWE. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I to be, to be in, you know, honest in general, throughout this whole match, I enjoyed what I saw. Yeah. I think there was there was enough there to keep me entertained. There were some great spots on the outside, like we touched with the shooting star press and so on, and um, Kidman and Mysterio both running and jumping off the stage um, yeah. onto their opponents on the outside it was quite spectacular to see. Uh, yeah, there's there's quite a bit here to keep me entertained. Again probably maybe didn't need to go as long as it did because there was again moments where and I, I am again nitpicking again I guess but there were moments where I think okay that could have been the end or that could have been the end or that could have been the end but it mm. seemed to go on a little bit more and then the crowd as opposed to buying into the near falls they almost they almost lost a bit of steam over each near fall if that makes sense yeah I mean it was it was quick out the gate that was what kind of uh it's difficult sometimes with certain matches and pacing because they were so quick at the start. These sequences and kind of, as you'd expect, the kind of the high fly moves, um, working outside the ring, obviously with those kind of uh, the double kind of uh, kind of uh, kind of dives off the stage, and 
So yeah, when they got back into the ring, it could it maybe could have yeah finished a bit a bit earlier. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoyed it, and it was a surely a, a decent kind of uh, finale to the to cruiserweight tournament. Yeah, um, the one of the shortest running titles in the history of professional <laughs> wrestling, I think. Um, yeah. Obviously, the date established was this date, March eighteenth, two thousand and one. Um, the date that the whole cruiserweight tag team division was knocked on the head was the last Nitro, the twenty sixth of March. Um, the longest reign is by our, our winners here, Elix Skipper um, and Kid Romeo. Sorry, Elix Skipper. Um, uh, Prime time they called him here, didn't they? Yeah. Um, they held the belts for eight days <laughs> and they eventually lost it to Mysterio and Kidman on the last Nitro. So they held the belts for a day. <laughs> and that it makes that. you wonder, I mean, with the tournament plans and everything out, it just makes you wonder what the kind of end game was with it or when, when, when kind of people were getting the notice to say, right, yeah, the buyout's happening. Uh, when this kind of tournament was announced, um, was it maybe just a showcase for to get, you know, the cruiserweights kind of some, uh, um, kind of TV time, and uh, or is it kind of there was a bigger plan for it, and they didn't expect obviously the the buyout to happen in the way it did. Yeah, you're pretty much spot on. To be fair, um, at this time, Bischoff Eric Bischoff was back and was was partially involved in some of the creative, um, and he was looking to buy the company with his yeah. own media company. Um, but he was then being told at the last minute when he thought he had a deal arranged. It was all you know they they were, they were looking at shutting the company down for a couple of months, and they were book, looking at booking an arena to do the pay per view, the Big Bang in May to bring the company back, and um, they were trying to secure contracts and so on. And the tag team cruiserweight tournament and cruiserweight titles were there very much to, like you said, um, put a spotlight on the cruiserweights because Bischoff had great success with that in the nineties when he mm. first brought the cruiserweights in there. Um, so that's kind of something that he's on record as saying that he wanted to, to do again. Um, but then at the last minute he discovered that the, the, the deal that was, he was getting didn't include TV time. He yeah. was buying, buying the company with no television time. So instantly the deal was dead in the water because like, well, white TV is it's worthless. Yeah. And that, basically meant that mom was able to swoop in and pick it up for you know a, a tiny percentage of the price that bischoff was looking at paying with his media company so i think you're spot on that the, the cruiserweight tag team titles potentially could have been a big thing going forward if wcw hadn't sort of bit the bullet those eight days later i suppose yeah 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 big shame big shame um yeah, again, Billy Kidman underrated, fantastic. Ray Mysterio looked really good. I quite enjoyed um, Kid Romeo here as well. I don't know about yeah. him, but I think he looked quite good. Um, reminded me with, with the tribal tattoos and the tan and the, the sort of slicked hair. He reminded me of pretty much every single person on reality TV in the years <laughs> 2000, 2001. If that, you know, it was very much a look of that era, I think. Yeah. <laughs> then the presentation was, again, just thinking of a, a like for like in. Um, current product i think an angel gaza from wwe it's just a very kind of the slick kind of um, yeah. presentation um yeah very kind of self-centered it was uh yeah you, you could pull it off and uh yeah i mean again these guys in r- ridiculous shape obviously for, for obviously the the cruiserweight division as well mm. yeah i mean again I, I enjoyed it i mean yeah so far the matches we've seen i've enjoyed they've been solid but not quite spectacular if that makes sense they've been yeah. good but not or inspiring, I suppose. Agreed. 
Yeah. Okay. Um, we then have a little backstage uh, segment with a documentary being made by, I think, by Buff Bagwell about Ric Flair. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ric Flair and Jeff Jarrett and Buff Bagwell and whoever else are backstage ranting on about how they're all going to win their matches. Uh, and Flair is sporting a wonderful Hawaiian shirt for some <laughs> random reason. Flair is looking the most un-Ric Flair-like I've ever seen Ric Flair look. <laughs> um, but that sort of documentary filming and segments are going to pop up again and again throughout the show. Yeah. Uh, we then have Stacy Keebler, uh, the former Miss Hancock coming to the ring to introduce her man, Sean Stasiak, uh, son of I think Stan, the man Stasiak X WWF champion. I think he was, yeah. um, I, I think, you know, Stasiak looks incredible when stood yeah. still, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think, I think he's got a great look. Um, and I, I think, I think it's quite, quite weird looking at these, these guys in the ring. Cause his opponent, Bam Bam Bigelow is more towards the end of his wrestling career here. Yeah. He's been around for a long time. He was involved way back in the original survivor series and, and so on. Um, so Bam Bam's been around a long time. He looks, he was always a big fella here. Bam Bam looks even bigger than normal. Um, he doesn't look in the greatest of condition, even though he was always a big chap. Stasiak looks incredible, but hasn't really got anything to go along with it. The whole star of this for me was Stacey Keebler. She stood out yeah. as, as an absolute diamond here. Yeah, I mean, that's it. We're making notes on these things because you want to mention uh, certain bits that kind of stand out of a time. Mm-hmm. And the first thing I wrote on this one, again, <laughs> verbatim, it's uh, I put down Stacey's at her best, but I put in brackets not wrestling. Because again, obviously, you know, WWE time they put her in the ring, and uh, I think she was kind of out of place there. She, she's really well served as a as a manager, I think. Um, she, she, she's not a bad, obviously, uh, talking, and uh, yeah, the presentation was right, and um, she's better on the microphone, obviously, doing the promote promos uh, than Stasiak, really. So uh, I, th- I think it was a good fit in that respect. Yeah, I think you're absolutely spot on, and uh, you look through her career as well, um, Stacey Keeper. Mm. You got the time spent as Miss Hancock, where she didn't really manage anyone in particular. She was just an on-screen character coming yeah. to the ring, doing a bit of a dance, etc., etc. Was associated with some wrestlers here and there. Um, didn't wrestle, looked like a star. She had this with Stasiak for a while. She was associated with David Flair um, for a very short period. Obviously, there were a couple off-screen. Um, David Flair was blatantly punching hugely above his weight there. <laughs> <to be honest. laughs> um, in in WWF, she was associated with the Dudleys for a while, and I think that really, really worked as well. Uh, she managed Test for a short period, um, and then was the centre of the whole Test Scott Steiner feud they had there. Yeah, all memorable moments to me personally, uh, and not just because I enjoy looking at Stacey Keebler. Don't get me wrong; <laughs> I'm look- <laughs> it's very much memorable to me because she was very good in those roles and none of those involved her actually wrestling. Correct. And I'm not saying that she's anywhere near the level of this individual, but my mind sort of goes back to say a Miss Elizabeth in the eighties. Yeah. Uh, She never wrestled, but she was such a focal point of so many big storylines with Savage and Hogan and so on. And it shows that you don't, I'm all for women's wrestling. I don't want this to be taken in the wrong way. I'm not trying to sort of send us back into the dark ages of bra and panty matches and women just there to look pretty. Mm. Talent, some talented women wrestling in the ring. There's many of them around the world who are better than most of the men in the world. Let's get that straight now. Um, 
However, I also think there is a place in wrestling for the valet, for the women, a woman being a manager, uh, and male managers as well, which seem to be dying out. So I think they're, I think they're a really important part of wrestling in the past, um, and I think it's a dying art form as well, to a degree. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. Um, again, it's, it's, it's very valuable for, for, for certain people to have, obviously, a manager in, in place. I mean, I suppose the best example in recent years is it was Paul Heyman in the corner of uh, Brock Lesnar. Mm. And again, it's, it's, not, it's nothing to do with anything that happens in the ring. Um, it's all about his kind of prom- promo skills and his, uh, kind of him selling everything on the outside. Uh, in, in that respect, it really adds to adds to the matches. You see his reaction. You still again still believe it. His reaction to what you've just seen in the ring. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, this match here between Stasiak and Bigelow, it, it's just shy of six minutes long. There's not masses to to write home about here. Um, Stasiak cuts a fairly bland promo. I mean, don't get me wrong. He, he's doing he's doing his he's doing his best bless him yeah but it's just certain people have other strengths shall we yeah. say stasiak's main strength was not talking on the microphone <laughs> agreed he's doing a kind of low rate version of rick rude here i believe with the insults to the crowd and talking about how good looking he is um but the pictures of himself he's throwing out to the crowd i thought that was quite a nice touch i thought that was something yeah. i haven't seen very often that was that was quite unique um Another low blow without a disqualification in this match. There was two. Mm-hmm. They, don't, they don't want each. Unbelievable. And just to kind of, yeah, just because I didn't get that bit in, Kidman did win in the last match as well. So we're up to five. That's <laughs> like four. Yeah, five. Yeah, five yeah. in total. So, um, okay. yeah, not keeping keep a low blow tally. <laughs> but yeah, and you said in a short match as well that getting both of them getting a low blow in, it's, yeah, it wasn't needed. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't really add to it. Again, it's a short match. We know the reasons why. Um, with obviously Bam Bam involved, it's, it wasn't going to be a long match in, in any case, you know. Um, um, as I said, he did take a bit of a, an awkward bump on the outside. I don't think he was supposed to hit the steps in, in the manner he did either. He seemed to kind of yeah. uh, fall a bit early and kind of go into it a bit kind of high up. Um, so it seemed to be okay, but yeah, it didn't, it didn't look very kind of uh, comfortable. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't great. Um, the finish comes where star of the piece, Miss Keebler, stands on the apron, um, starts messing with her hair and throws some hairspray to Stasiak, who uses it on Bigelow to eventually get the win uh, with the hangman's noose, which is kind of a, a slow-motion sit-down neckbreaker. Um, looks very, very familiar, again, to the rude mm. awakening by <laughs> Reed. I wonder where you're getting your inspiration from, Mr. Yeah. Stasiak. Um, but yeah, that was kind of all she wrote for that one, wasn't it? It was, uh, again, yeah. it, it was decent enough. It didn't make me want to turn over, but it was nothing spectacular again, I guess, was it? No, I mean, they said it's, it's kind of the kind of matches you just see on a, uh, an everyday weekly show getting Stasiak over, you know, beating someone with some name value uh, like Bam Bam. It was just... Uh, Maybe not best served on a pay per view, but again, it's it's no bad thing at all uh, in the grand scheme of things because it's not the focal point of the pay per view. So uh, mm-hmm. yeah, kind of uh, average in, in most respects, um, but served the purpose of getting staged at the win as you might expect. Yeah, yeah. I mean, our next contest is uh, another tag match, but I mean, I I, I saw uh, the first team come into the ring, Lance Storm and. Uh, Mike Awesome, and straight away I sat up a little bit. So I'm a huge fan of both of these guys. Yeah. Mike, 
awesome in Japan and ECW and some of his WCW stuff when he wasn't being tagged with silly 70s gimmicks or fat chick thriller gimmicks and so on. Mm. It's absolutely brilliant. Lance Storm, I think, similar to Billy Kidman, hugely, hugely underrated performer. Um, And they're up against Hugh Morris and Conan. Uh, Again, I quite enjoyed this. Nothing spectacular, but still, I thought it was quite good. And for me, this was probably the most entertaining match of the night so far, maybe. Yeah, I, mean, I think I think Lance Storm and Mike Awesome, but again, looking back at things, they're pretty cohesive as a tag team. Uh, I've always known how good Storm is, and but I never really associated Mike Awesome being mean, that much of a tag wrestler. Again, I was aware mm. of the tag team, uh, but obviously more so of Mike Awesome as a as a singles wrestler. But they were pretty cohesive uh, in this one, which again really did add to it. Really helps out having that kind of. Uh, um, kind of they be able to play off each other kind of nice and easy because it just uh, adds to the fluency of the match yeah yeah I mean something slightly odd as well is obviously Mike Awesome here as part of Team Canada despite being born raised and eventually passing away in Tampa Florida USA <laughs> so that's that's an interesting one and there's also something that stood out to me on this show and it's quite a sad note really um, out of 10 matches with however many performances we have there's a, obviously a few guys in every pay-per-view you watch back now from, from this era and yeah. times around that are no longer with us. Of course, there are Bam Bam Bigelow we know is no longer with us. Yeah, There's a few scattered throughout this card. Um, but I think this is a first for me, that's something that I've noticed. Three of the people no longer with us took their own lives. And I right. think that is... That's a really, really sad thing to think about when, I mean, Mike Awesome being the first one we've come across here. Yeah. Uh, he took his own life in his early 40s. Mm. Um, suffering with depression and various other issues as well. Uh, a really, really sad end to someone who I think really traveled the world and, and gave entertainment to so many people. Um, and for a guy his size, he could really move, couldn't he? Yeah, he could. Yeah, just a lot of talent there. And again, you don't know the ins and outs of people's personal lives, but again, you can, mm-hmm. in this capacity, only judge them on what they're doing in the ring. Uh, to that extent, you know, you're with kind of your kind of honest opinion. And uh, yeah, it was a decent, decent hands. And again, such a big guy, agile. Um, you could, if you wanted to, put him, you know, push him um, to obviously kind of a decent level. Um, it wouldn't be out of place. And I haven't seen him in the in, the, in these tag matches. Um, well, this one in particular. Um, it just shows a bit of versatility that is, uh, you know, you'd be happy to have him kind of on your roster because you could utilize him in a number of ways. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a really good point. You could utilize him in a few different ways. He, he did play babyface, he did play heel. He also, as you say here, in a tag match, and he, he was very accomplished as a singles wrestler as well. So, yeah, it's a really good way of. Uh, he's the sort of guy you want in your locker room, isn't he, I suppose? Because he can lend his hand to numerous different roles, I guess. Yeah, and that's what you need. You just don't, don't want to be. Uh, um, have one kind of dimensional people and like you said if it's face and heel he can play um, you can put him down the card up the card it's just um, yes yeah, it's, it's someone that you can and again it's a big guy that can fly it's not going to be kind of the he's not going to go and move into the cruiserweight division but he, he can do these <laughs> spots and um, he can stand out for a, a number of reasons yeah one thing I did want to speak to you about Eric actually is being a um, tag team wrestler yourself obviously you've worked singles also but part of the GL2 team at the moment with Roy Stevens who's, who's also been on the show recently mm-hmm. 
being someone who has worked in tag teams and so on, um, there was a couple of moments in this match, especially towards the end. And I suppose we had it in the Cruiserweight title match as well, where the those pinfalls attempted and the the partner of the guy being pinned would come in and break up the pinfall but then it almost seems like people kind of lost their way for a second or two and there was lots of bodies in the ring lots of people sort of i don't quite know how word it sort of, sort of milling around without actually doing anything for a moment yeah. or two uh, and, uh, and when that's happened once i, I don't tend to pick up on it too much because it's you know it's, it's the way these guys and yourself and so on entertain us fans is is fantastic but when it's happened more than once in the same match i start thinking what's happened there is that an issue where people have forgotten their spots or is that an issue where um it's the end of the match some of the bigger guys potentially might need to catch a breath i mean is is can you sort of put any expertise of your own into why that might have happened yeah i mean like, again you might put it down to people being out of position for those spots it can, it can be that that simple where you know it's it's not that they've totally forgot obviously what they're doing but if you're slightly out of position and you're wrong side of a person if there's four of you in the ring uh, that can make the difference really um, again it, it was kind of it didn't stand out to me too much of as, as an issue there um, but yeah I think for obviously matches I've been in again you just kind of got to time yourself right mm-hmm. and uh, I suppose the more things you've got to remember uh, I suppose the easier it is to kind of, uh, kind of forget certain parts yeah, yeah, I understand. And there's so many moving parts to a tag match as well, I guess, isn't there? There's four guys as opposed to two, the referee as well, and yeah. and so on. So I understand, yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Um, okay, I mean, ultimately, Mike Awesome gets the pin for his team with the Awesome Bomb, which is kind of a, it's almost like a running razor's edge sort of effort, isn't it, I guess? Um, where he holds him above his head and sort of throws him down into the mat. Yeah, uh, him off the uh, it was a good finish in that respect because it, it added uh, it wasn't just a kind of a one on one finish, it wasn't really a kind of a, a two versus two finish. It was obviously Lance Storm kind of hitting Hugh Morris from the top of the rope, so it was almost like a, a two on one finish, which was quite nice. Mm. And just kind of lining them up there, and uh, yeah, awesome, kind of took him the whole way across the ring, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> he flew a distance, let's be fair, yeah. Um, again. I thought this was good. I enjoyed it. Again, wasn't spectacular, but again, I, you know, it was decent enough. It was decent enough for me. Up to this stage, I think this was the match I enjoyed the most, but only just because nothing massively stands out to me up to this point. But it's all been okay, shall we say? It's all been fairly good, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, like I said again, it's just, it's the same story. It, it it wouldn't have been out of place as a, a good match on uh, kind of a weekly show. There wasn't anything that was um, kind of really kind of jaw drop in it was mm-hmm. all solid stuff from you know four solid wrestlers uh, at worst um and um yeah again i was happy with it i think the the one thing i noticed was uh, the hot tag slightly kind of not a bit ruined but it didn't quite kind of get the hot tag right because conan uh hit a move i think and then rolled into the cover and then rolled straight off so it's really weird because I think the ref was going down to make a, the first pin, like the first count. Mm-hmm. And then he kind of rolled over for the hot tag. And it was a bit kind of took obviously a while then for the, the crowd to come up on the, after the hot tag. Uh, did notice. But it's a bit, yeah, it's a bit of a really weird way of uh, kind of getting into it. Yeah. Again, I suppose kind of just maybe momentarily someone losing their way attached or something. I suppose all it does take is one person out of the four 
to take an extra second to think about something and it can throw a lot of things off i'm assuming yeah yeah definitely for sure um they said it uh, got hugh morris got them going again because he's uh coming with like a bundle of energy anyway and uh yeah kind of it wasn't too much of an issue but it's a bit weird because you normally see almost like a a double down situation where kind of a they go into the corners and it kind of rolled over the pin. It was kind of a bit kind of unusual more than anything else. Yeah, no, I understand. Um, we then have a little bit more from backstage, some security camera footage. Um, I mean, to be honest, it's in the changing rooms. So, I mean, there's got yeah. some, some form of, you know, legal issue there. I think if you've got cameras <laughs> filming people getting changed, it's, <laughs> um, we have Dustin and dusty roads backstage. Uh, Dusty is telling his son that he's preparing effectively, you know, he's, he's preparing his arse ready for his match <laughs> later because the loser has to kiss the winner's backside is the stipulation. Um, and he has 40 burritos, was it 40 burritos? Yeah, yeah you, don't, you don't see that much nowadays, do you? People prefer their arse for a match. No, no, that's <laughs> it. It's, 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 a, it's a forgotten art form. I think. It's a <laughs> Perhaps that's why certain people don't make it in the business. They don't prepare their arse enough. <laughs> um, we then get more of Buff Bagwell and the documentary. Uh, he's talking with Rick Steiner. Uh, Steiner claims he is going to thump his butt in reference to his opponent, Booker T, which I thought, again, was quite unique, especially when we've got Rhodes preparing his arse in the next room. <laughs> uh, Sean O'Hare and Chat Palumbo then appear saying that they're ready for their contest later in the show against the team of Buff Bagwell and Lex Luger. And these guys look ripped, don't they? When you look at Sean O'Hare, you look at Chuck Palumbo, they're just absolute muscle monsters to be fair yeah. to them. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it, it, when I, when I saw them and when I see how they were presented as well, it kind of, it kind of put across to me, they were the kind of the tag team. They wanted chronic to be in a way, mm. but they had that kind of, aerial aspect from Sean O'Hare so again yeah pushed as these kind of big muscly guys but again obviously it come almost like a step up again in a way uh, as much as I like Chronic um it had that kind of uh the aerial capacity as well from, from the two guys yeah yeah that's a good point um our next contest is yet again back to cruiserweight action and we have Chavo Guerrero defending the cruiserweight championship against Sugar Shane Helms uh Sugar Shane is accompanied by what were they referred to as? The Sugar Girls, was it? Or the... <laughs> not too sure. There was some dancing troupe of young ladies uh, coming to the ring with him anyway. Um, again, a good match. I mean, I'm a huge Chavo fan. Um, Shane Helms, I enjoyed... His work as the Hurricane, I enjoyed purely because it was comedy and it did make me laugh. But these moments and other contests around this time as well um show just how good the guy was in the ring i think eric yeah i really agreed on that and uh again it was much more of a technical approach to the match from the two uh which i think it was deliberately set out and i think later in the match the commentators did mention it as well that it was it was almost like a, a wrestling kind of match over the kind of usual high flying from the cruiserweights mm. and it was good that they got the time they did to, to put on the match they did uh, and again I, I i really enjoyed this match yeah yeah I, I think this sort of steps up to being without a doubt the best that i've seen on this show so far with i mean there's some chavo kind of takes control early um with quite a stiff looking clothesline or, or lariat effort um 
and he kind of dominates for, for, for a big chunk of the match straight off the bat, doesn't he? He has a, a nice STF kind of regal stretch hold he applies. Um, there's a nice drop kick into the corner that he uses. Um, Chavo looked like he just absolutely dominating the action for quite a big portion of this match. Yeah, and the one bit I really liked about that as well, he had that leg lock in with a certain kind of uh, last chancery kind of um, moves in as well. Um, he kind of Helms fought out of it, so he kind of struck his way out of it. But as Chaba had the leg hooked, he kind of just transitioned into something else. So again, just very much a technical kind of uh, approach to things, uh, which again is never associated with the cruiserweights directly because everyone wants to see the kind of high flying stuff. But it was very good map based kind of technical stuff where he could obviously wear Helms down. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, we have eventually hurricane helms or, or sugar shane sorry um starts to gain a little bit of traction himself um and he hits his nightmare on helm street finish for a close two count uh, i don't know if i've ever heard of a wrestling move named better than that <laughs> nightmare on helm street that is fantastic <laughs> um there's a huge bump as well when Chavo bumps the ropes when Shane is uh, on top of the ropes and he kind of takes a somersault onto the mat back first from there. That's quite a very, there's, there's a real big snap to how he falls, I guess. It looks quite dramatic. Yeah, um, got the kind of split leg on there so he could really kind of, you know, come down quickly rather than just kind of crotch himself and kind of dribble down off the ropes. Yeah, it's a very kind of impactful way of coming down. Mm, yeah. Um, ultimately, the vertebraker is used and Shane wins the match. Now the vertebraker, when I saw this move, I literally sat there in my chair this afternoon and went, holy crap. As, as he drove him into the mat, because that looked, I mean, if, if Chavo doesn't get his head right, then he's breaking his neck, isn't he? Yeah. I mean, it's um, similar in the way that you've got to position yourself. I suppose like the styles clash is you've got to, you've got to, as long as you position your body, right. Again, it's safe. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it won't be the first time he's done it, and it wasn't definitely wasn't the last time he's done it. Um, but again, it, it involves um, kind of both parties doing their bit. And um, again, Helms can't really see um, obviously what Charvo's doing. Um, I'm not sure if there's any kind of uh, indication of when he's going to drop. Um, but yeah, you just got to kind of pull your stomach muscles tight and uh, kind of uh, sit up a bit, and uh, you should you should be okay. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> it looks great, though. I mean, they said it's, oh, uh, does it's it ever. a very unique move. Again, again, it's not your frog splash. It's not kind of your, your hurricanes. It's it's kind of it's an impactful move for a cruiserweight to be doing, and uh, definitely, uh, definitely sends a decent message out. But uh, it doesn't all have to be high flying. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I really enjoyed this. I really enjoyed this, and that again, that vertebraker breathtaking, breathtaking move. Um, we get a little more from backstage here. Where this time we have Flair and Jeff Jarrett, and they're stating very clearly, just in case there's any confusion on anyone's part, they are not going to kiss anyone's ass, <laughs> which is nice of them to let us know. Uh, we have <laughs> we have Booker T getting ready for his US title match with Rick Steiner. Um, and he tells Steiner very clearly to save the drama for your mama. I'm not really sure what that means, but <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> and then we get to the totally buff 
match with Palumbo and O'Hare. And this is sadly the second contest that has a wrestler who took their own life when Sean O'Hare, um, again, he passed away at a very young age, uh, early 40s, again, 43, I believe he was. Um, mixed martial artist. He did kickboxing and all sorts. I really liked Sean O'Hare. I thought the guy... He had a great look. He had a great, a great move set. He, everything about him, I thought was great. When he joined up with the WWF eventually, and you had, um, no, his name escapes me. Roddy Piper acting yep. as his manager for a short period. I thought Sean O'Hare with the right gimmick and and the right backing could have really gone places. You know. Well, I mean that's the perfect situation. It, it kind of it says it all without saying it. If you put Piper in his corner. You're saying there's some positives here. Again, you like you say, he's got the look. He can pull out some moves, um, but maybe obviously the the promo side of it isn't the strongest. Mm-hmm. And you've got someone like Piper that is, you know, he's known for being you know fairly good on, uh, as a promo, and um, you know, with, you know, almost unlimited knowledge in in the business from top to bottom. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of giving the exact right person to kind of develop uh, someone into uh, to a high level. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, I mean, the size of the guy as well. I mean, he's he's mm. what six, six five, six six. He must be. About that, yeah. Um, and he's two hundred and fifty odd pounds, two hundred and sixty pounds, whatever. And he's able to fly, as you mentioned, like he can. And he's he's got the martial arts background as well. Um, just just insanely talented, and it's I mean, it's a real shame that his life ended up the way it did. Um, He'd been in and out of rehab. Um, I think I think it's something like six times he'd gone to rehab, seven times right. maybe. Um, all on the back of WWE's dollar that they, they paid for him every single time, which is something I think sometimes the WWE gets a a rough ride upon. There's always the bad with regards to drugs and uh, personal demons, as they call it in wrestling, and WWE always get looked at bad from that angle but they pay for so many people's rehabs whether they worked for them or not or they worked for them decades ago or whatever and ultimately he struggled with depression and alcohol addiction and and then took his own life at a very young age such a waste and and so so sad for that guy's family um this match was was a real odd one for me though it lasted less than a minute and the promo beforehand by Luger and Buff. I mean, well, obviously that lasted longer than the match itself. I wrote that down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the first thing that come to mind. And again, uh, pretty much like the Stasiak one as well. Um, expected and delivered. <sighs> the promo was, yeah, it just went on, and it was, it was, it wasn't good. Luger's never been known for doing a, a good promo, but no, um, it, it kind of was a, a kind of a, it, it kind of set the scene for the match and saying that we're not overconfident. Um, it, it wasn't really required they could have done more with that if they were going to do something with the promo and if you think that certain matches maybe in a tad bit long um, then yeah, I don't know what this match was doing really and what I suppose it's it, you can see the purpose it was supposed to be serving but eh, yeah um, I think the, the shock factor is all you can say about it really yeah I mean I didn't actually think of that myself that's a really good point when you look at say the first two matches especially when i don't know 12 13 minutes roughly mm. you could have shaved a minute or two off each of those quite comfortably and not lost anything mm. 
chucked it on here and had a bit more of a contest to, to view. Um, yeah, I didn't even think of that. That's a really good point, Eric. I suppose that the, the, they're trying to... You've got Lugo who's talking about how many times he's won the world title and the US title and so on. You've got Beth who, who they describe as a multi-time tag team champion. And then these two young guys come out and squash them as quickly as they did. Yeah. I suppose the, the, I suppose the intent is to make the, the youngsters, O'Hare and Palumbo, look incredible by doing that to these veterans, I guess. That must, yeah. That's the only intent I can see happening there. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's what it's designed for. Um, again, you don't know what the bigger picture is going to be, if there was any kind of uh, comeback on that at you know, a later date. Mm. Uh, but yeah, again, it puts them, puts them over in a good way uh, in, in that respect. Again, it's a bit weird. The, only, uh, the weirdness, I thought, from the match is uh, it was basically a tornado tag match. There's, yeah. no, there's no tags at all, and they never said to get out of the ring. <laughs> I yeah. mean, uh, it went for obviously a, a short time, but uh, there was there was there was all in the ring at the same time. Which again, they're going to be nitpicky about rules and stuff. Which again, it was in my mind. It didn't take away from the match in, in that respect, being so short. But uh, they were weird when they didn't really kind of enforce that at any point. Yeah, I'm a big stickler for rules, you see, especially in tag <laughs> matches. Yeah, you know, I I think. Obviously, you know far more than I, so you know I'm talking very much outside looking in. But my standpoint is, it's all about to me as as somebody watching and has watched wrestling as long as I have. It's all about getting reactions from the crowd, uh, and you want people to react uh, and have emotion towards the characters they're viewing. Now, I think at the moment in wrestling in general, it's very difficult to be a real proper likable good guy. Because the anti heel, sorry, the anti baby face, whatever is 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 the the cool heel, or so to speak, has been popular for decades. Austin came along and shattered what everyone thought a baby face needed to be. Yeah. Um, I think it's very difficult, not necessarily at local level, because you know your young kids are going to cheer for the good guys. But I think with older fans and so on, I think it's difficult to be a really good, likable good guy. To me, the easiest way of doing that is to have a good heel. Get break the rules and then you got the sympathy side to the good guy but if the rules aren't being enforced how can the heel break the rules to get booed to then by proxy have his opponent cheered have i explained that properly yeah yeah exactly right yeah um with that level they said just uh you've got to be a it's gonna be no redeeming features really for a heel you just Mm. you don't you, you don't want to kind of you don't want to kind of deliver anything that's gonna make someone kind of cheer for you or certainly react to it if it does happen you know so <laughs> you'll see later in the in the show of uh you know you can if you dish out a bit of abuse to the fans and uh <laughs> you can make sure that they don't like you yeah exactly <laughs> um also the amount of time lex and uh bagwell are in the ring selling the very quick and cut beating a couple of bumps they've taken. I think that's a real dick move. From what I can gather that happened on that day, listening to the likes of Bischoff and other people talk and so on, they weren't happy about losing to these guys in less than a minute, threatened to walk out, eventually got convinced to do this uh, this this match. And by way of just being a pair of complete dicks, to sort of stick their fingers up at management, sold as long as they did. And had to, the referees coming in the ring to sort of check on Bagwell was actually telling them to get out of the ring because the, the next match was going to happen. Um, it's from, I think it's Bischoff who told, who I heard tell that story. It could be somebody else, right. but yeah, they were just being arrogant dicks. So <laughs> yeah, it's not a good, good, uh, kind of a uh, message to send across. It's in, he was holding his neck at afterwards and, uh, 
yeah, I mean, there's, uh, yeah, I, didn't, I didn't know that, to be honest. I was, I was, I was wondering why it was happening that way. But mm. I didn't know they were kind of, uh, kind of bringing it upon themselves to kind of do that. Yeah, again, I can't remember 100% where I heard this from, but I think it's mm. several different reports yeah. that are roughly the same, not word for word. So you kind of meet it in the middle, I guess, is kind of where the, the truth may lie, <laughs> I suppose. But, you know, obviously we're not in the room. We don't know, but this is the sort of things that you hear online and, and through interviews and so on. Um, our next match, then, we have the cat, who I think is a really unique character. Oh, sorry, before we get to that, we've got... Scott Steiner doing pull-ups in the shower, actually, <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> with Medasia, his valet, uh, girlfriend, uh, main freak, or however she's referenced, <laughs> and he cuts a typical Scott Steiner program where a uh, promo, sorry, where he rants at the camera a little bit, and you can only really pick up half of what he's saying. It's um, a good Scott Steiner promo, then. <laughs> sorry a good scott steiner promo <laughs> yeah definitely if you get half of it that's a good start it's uh, <laughs> but i'm a big steiner fan so yeah. I, I i'm okay with him ranting like a moron like you know ranting like a crazed lunatic because to me that's what what part of his appeal was so character yeah yeah um we we follow that with another i suppose solid but unspectacular match again with canyon versus the cat um this is to, uh, he's got Miss Jones with him, the cat. She's been absent from television for a little while, so her return is is being built up as quite a big deal, I guess. Um, it, again, it's it, it's a solid match, it's a decent match, but uh, the, the term you used earlier on in our conversation about things potentially being a TV match or more suited to an episode of Nitro than a pay per view was I think very accurate when it comes to this particular contest. Yeah, I think it's, there's a lot of that as well. I mean you can you can let you know the odd one go by if you watch a pay-per-view and you say, okay, well, that's not what we're here for. Um, it is a good match, but it's not kind of right up there. Uh, but you you want to have these more extended kind of uh, finishes to stories uh, that mean something uh, with kind of a solid you know finish. Again, if you do get a bit of a kind of a hokey Kind of finish it's hopefully going to be a case of well we're going to see this you know resolved at a later pay-per-view or a later episodes of a uh, obviously nitro um but yeah it, it was it was middle of the road for the mo- most part uh, the one thing because again i was trying to watch beforehand obviously kind of the build-up for canyon and uh the cat mm-hmm. was canyon doing some form of kind of stalker kind of gimmick with miss jones then in that respect i'm not 100% sure but obviously when there were moments where he he moved towards her during the match or yeah. uh, they even said on commentary didn't they oh he's seen her now yeah um, and there was a reaction to that so i'm assuming that that was the sort of thing they were going towards um so yeah i think i think you're right in saying that but i i, I did the same as you i very much went in and looked at this pay-per-view cold without any yeah. storyline or information around it because the way i kind of like to do these shows to be fair yeah, there's anything that come to my sorry to interrupt. So the right. thing that caught, caught my mind because again, as soon as uh, his good friend, obviously DDP, showing up in WWE, you know, doing a very kind of similar kind of story with uh, the Undertaker, mm. and it seemed a bit kind of reminiscent of that uh, in that respect. Yeah, that he was uh, kind of stalking after a little bit in the, the start of the match. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, Towards the end of the match, it heats up a little bit with a couple of near fours here and there. Um, 
Canyon gets caught using the ropes uh, for a three count, but obviously caught by the ref, so the three count didn't didn't count. Yeah. Um, Canyon then hits Cat with the cast on his arm, um, and that was the first mention of this cast that I know of from the, the commentary team. Hmm. So I wasn't even aware that it was a cast until he used <laughs> it. So that was a bit of a shock for me. Um, <laughs> Canyon then randomly hits the ref. <laughs> yeah. And I was just like, I don't get why you've done that <laughs> it was it, yeah it was more towards the end it was very much a kind of a weird way of setting up getting miss jones involved it was uh yeah a bit all over the place it was a very direct kind of forearm to the back of the referee and i think it was maybe to kind of get him out of the way so he could kind of beckon miss jones into getting involved and obviously i suppose she did uh in that respect yeah she she has um well she tries to kick uh canyon isn't it who who moved and he, she ends up catching the cat in kind of quite a messy kind of uh high kick effort yep. there um you can see what they were trying to accomplish the story they were trying to tell but it was just kind of uh, half a yard off here and there i guess that which led to it being maybe a bit messier than it needed to be um the cat ultimately wins the match and you get a bit of afters as well with canyon um beating on the cat and going for Miss Jones and then someone who I have no idea who runs to the ring to make the save. I'm not familiar with who this guy was. Uh, who was that? M.I. Smooth, which is, he was known as Ice Train before that. Ice Train. Ah, yeah. yes. Ah, uh, Ice Train. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Okay. Um, Canyon is also the, the third person who, who took his life very, very young. Again, in his early 40s, he suffered with bipolar issues addiction issues had um had had issues with his sexuality as well um and if anyone's not listened to it there's a fantastic episode of chris jericho's podcast uh talk is jericho that was released with people who knew um canyon around the time of the anniversary of his death this year and it's well worth listening to to learn more about the guy and the struggles he went through um yeah and i think canyon similar to some other guys we've spoken about on this show the likes of kidman and so on quite underrated really yeah exactly i mean someone who's so talented um kind of in the ring and just um you could really see him developing a character in a way um, in that kind of kind of side of things, I, you know, I really think that his character work could be decent. I mean, he did play a, obviously a character Mortis for a bit, and it, it wasn't mm. like you know it didn't set the world alight. Um, but yeah, again, someone you could if you got a good decent push right behind could go right up the card. I mean, he was he was a double champion at one point in uh, WWE in the early invasion kind of angle, I believe. Is that right? Yeah, the, who, the, the whole who better than Canyon sort of <laughs> thing, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't get the US title, and I think there's another title as well, I want to say, but uh, tag title, I think. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. he's tag champion as well for a short time as well, as a US champion for a short time. Yeah, yeah, that sort of early, yeah, the early days of the invasion there, he was involved in quite a few good matches on, on Raw and SmackDown and so on. Um, and the, I remember having the white T-shirt with Who Better Than Canyon written in red on the front, <laughs> that stands out to me as well. Yeah, I, I, I really liked the guy, I thought he was brilliant, and apparently... Um, Brian Cage in AEW now is using the Who Better Than Cage moniker in oh, tribute yeah. to Canyon uh, because he, he I don't know if he trained him or they were very good friends there's some 
strong personal link there. So apparently that's why Cage uses that moniker as well. So it's quite a nice touch. Um, yeah, after this, we have the tag team of Totally Buff arguing backstage. Uh, Buff, uh, well, they're just, they're, just, they're just bickering, really. Um, and Lex then sort of stands there and just, you know, looks a bit, you know, blank-faced. Um, again, the sort of charisma vacuum Mr. Luger can be <laughs> at times. <laughs> uh, and we go back and check on the American Dream and his arse. <laughs> Dusty has been eating burritos. Um, Dustin Rhodes is complaining about maybe the odd squeaker escaping from his father. And uh, <laughs> uh, Dusty says, it's all down in his saddlebags now. So he's obviously, yeah, he's obviously prepared and ready for Hawaiian Rick later in the show. Um, Our next contest is another title match, and it's for one of the most beautiful title belts in wrestling, in my opinion. I adore this championship. Yeah, Um, the United States WCW United States title. Um, Booker T, who by this stage has already been world champion on a few different occasions is the challenger and he is facing rick steiner um as booker t makes his entrance we're told by scott hudson on commentary they have turned out in their droves and droves for wcw greed Uh, i think we established early on that that's not quite true scott um (laughs) uh rick as a singles wrestler just seems odd to me yeah agreed i mean i uh when I went and watched back this back, I thought I was maybe been a bit kind of uh, judgmental at certain times regarding what I've seen before. I think maybe it was just that Scott was so kind of um, kind of prominent in his kind of character when he turned heel. It was so it made a lot of sense, and the, the visuals of how he kind of changed um, his character and his appearance. And I was like, okay, I can buy into this. It's such a kind of far cry from obviously the, the tag team wrestler we saw before. And obviously Rick, you know, with a few tweaks, stayed the same in a way. Um, mm. I just I just thought there's a lot more kind of depth to character with Scott, which I bought into and and saw as a kind of a very prominent and again pro- proved to be a very prominent kind of singles wrestler. And uh, Rick was just yeah the, the kind of the other Steiner brother again. That's yeah no disservice to him as a tag wrestler to a wrestler in general. And um, you know, again, it, it, it just it was just overshadowed, really. I think in that respect, and in my mind, I just saw Scott as the kind of the, the star. Then, yeah, I, I think you're right. Um, I think you're really, really spot on there with the whole changing of the appearance of of Scott, the whole uh, sort of transition into the the, the big popper pump character, whereas. Rick was being called the dog face gremlin before Scott even debuted in the late eighties. Mm. Um, which is again, ironic that we feel this way because Rick was a singles wrestler before Scott even wrestled. So that was, yeah. just, you know, quite odd, but I think, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. I mean, you look at say the rockers, for example, when they split in early 92, Sean turned up completely different ring gear, different music, um, different attitude. Marty Gennetti, when he returned, was the same rockers music same rockers ring gear um don't get me wrong to me Shawn michaels is one of the greatest of all time i think the guy's absolutely fantastic and 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 he was always going to be a star no matter what but i look at Janetti, and the guy could really go yeah Um, and i sort of think to myself is that a hindrance maybe if you're seen 
if you end up be being seen as the other guy from the tag team because you still use the same music you still use the same ring gear similar to rick steiner um if you were in that scenario you know if the gl2 parted ways for whatever reason what sort of road would you want to go down do you think you would want to be different i mean it's, it's not a case of not wanting to be associated with what you've done before but you're going to be di- you are going to be different and whether it's you're not changing your disposition if you're still going to be kind of a, a face or still going to be a heel you've got to be a different person to what you were doing before and uh, it's got to be a break away from what you've been doing in my, in my opinion anyway i think that's the only way it can work and it's not really necessarily a compromise uh, even though it is um when the two of you are together because you might have very similar ideas but being on obviously your singles it's all down to what you're doing and Again, you might change. You might want to change certain aspects of your move set that don't work anymore. And again, you're going to want to change your appearance for what you specifically want to do. Um, again, you're your own boss then, I suppose, in that case. And uh, I think that, you know, for the most part, most people would potentially kind of, if addressing, like I said, myself and Rye, we kind of, we've got the same kit. Uh, again, I, I, I personally think we'd, uh, you, you change most things about yourself. You wouldn't want to be kind of uh, identified as being still being a kind of part of. A, previously part of a tag team mm, yeah that does make a lot of sense I'm, I'm a big fan as well of tag teams wearing the same gear yeah um not necessarily exactly the same i mean if you've got a guy who potentially prefers trunks or a singlet or whatever to tights and the, and the other guy in the team likes tights then sound you know i don't think they have to be an exact match but if the mm. colors match the design matches yeah to show yeah these guys are a team as opposed to these guys are two fellas who have just been thrown together i mean yeah. that makes that makes a big difference as well just to the presentation of, of what you're seeing on screen or, or your local arenas i guess yeah because you can you you see them you go they are a tag team is um again you, you're entering together at the same time with the same yes yeah, or similar kit on there and it's uh yeah it's a bit of a difference to um again certain people are identifiable as singles wrestlers and again when i watch certain matches in that respect local shows and things like that if i see people come out in that capacity i think it's a tag team that dress the same they're a, they are a tag team mm-hmm. and if they're not if they haven't come out together or they're not dressed similar i think well it's two singles wrestlers and again even if you know prominent single singles wrestlers hopefully the idea would be the fact that people think okay well them two are friends because they're dressed the same they should be better at working together yeah yeah it makes sense makes a lot of sense um with this match here we have rick steiner jumping booker t quite early on and he, he dominates for several minutes he, he he really booker doesn't really get a look in for, for quite a duration of the match um he occasionally sort of has attempts at a comeback attempts at a fight back which rick cuts off quite early uh, but we also uh, randomly see Booker at one stage use an angle slam, which surprised me. That sort of popped out of nowhere. Um, <laughs> the old Olympic slam that Kurt Angle uses as his finisher for a two count. Uh, and Booker T as well. <laughs> he's, he predominantly was a tag team guy for so long. Um, but he's another that made the transition into singles and it really worked. I, I'm a big yeah. Booker T fan. Um, I mean, one move in this match particular that he was sort of a stable of his offense that he did in virtually every match he had, I guess, was when he was in the corner and his opponent runs at him and he kind yeah. of 
springs up into the air, spins round, hooks their legs, and turns it into a sunset flip. Yeah, yeah. I think that looks... I don't know if it's because his legs are so long, or I don't know why, but I think that looks absolutely fantastic, Eric. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's ones I've, uh, I've been doing it in training before. It's a, it's a nice move to do, and it's uh, really nice to watch. But again, it's uh, one of those things where it's, it's known as, obviously, Booker T doing that move. Uh, it's just, a, again, in its basic form, it's just a pin. Mm-hmm. But it's how he gets into it, and it is unique to him. And uh, yeah, it's, it's it's a nice thing to nice thing to watch. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, again, Booker has that that comeback sort of cut off. Um, we get another ref bump, which is a, 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 a secondary to the low blows, I suppose. Ref bumps are a running theme throughout this show again, aren't they? There's so many of them. There was a low blow as well. Kick blow blow, yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Oh dear. Um, eventually, uh, after the ref bump, uh, Steiner actually has the match won. He, he's he's covering Booker T, but the ref's down, he can't, he can't count the decision. Shane Douglas randomly turns up and hits Rick Steiner. Uh, he gets the bookend from Booker T, and Booker T wins the United States title going into the last couple of nitros we have. Um, I enjoyed this. I, I want this match came across a little bit more of a, a little bit more of a pay per view feel to it. I think the last few matches on the card had that had that pay per view feel as opposed to TV match feel. If that makes sense. Yeah, I think it was wait. It was almost uh, very much a waiting for Booker T to get his comeback. Though it's kind of you, I suppose it was a, a kind of a, a match of two halves. So the, the first half being very much a kind of a, a wearing down on a Booker T. Um, obviously chucking them over the guardrail right onto the front row, uh, obviously in the match. Um, but again, very, very slow paced after that and grinding them down, just yeah, just waiting for it to really kind of pick up, obviously for, for Booker T's comeback. And he was super over. He was, yeah, they, they were they were there for Booker T. And uh, yeah, kind of served the purpose in the end of uh, getting them, getting that win. Yeah, I mean, this is something that really interests me, to be honest. The whole, the whole psychology point of... Uh, the whole psychology side, I suppose, of, of wrestling in general, and getting the best reactions out of the crowd you can, and telling that story. Um, how 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 do you do that with regards to comebacks? Obviously, you, you wrestle as a heel at the moment. Your opponent sort of starts having a comeback, and you cut him off. Mm. Is it a timing thing? Is it listening to the crowd as to know when to cut him off? Um, is it trial and error? Are there occasions where you've, you've cut off the comeback too early and you sort of think to yourself in, you know, in your own mind, oh, crap, that was a touch early. I'll, I'll learn for next time. How, how, does that, how does that work? How did you learn that, that side of the business? Yeah, it's cer- certain things are kind of planned in that respect, but you just don't want it to kind of, uh, kind of cro- come across that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's... It, it's, it's again a balance act even now of just knowing it doesn't have to be so routine it's, it can be it can be one strike and right back down again cut back off or it could be a kind of a sequence where they, they've, they've started actively kind of coming back and they've, they've got on top and then you take them back down again um, so, so again these things might be planned out in advance but you don't want that kind of same kind of feel to things it's not a case of just you take a couple of strikes and you, you, you hit them back down again it's just got to be something that's fluent and still surprising it's not a case of uh well the good guy's on top he's coming back he's coming back he's going to rise back down again mm-hmm. it's, you, you you want something that's um a bit varied so not predictable um and to be honest the easiest way to do it is plan certain bits out just so you know uh where to go with it 
but there's nothing wrong with uh, as long as it's safe to do so just kind of you know feel that out sometimes and uh again you is i suppose that's the hardest part uh is i suppose feeling the crowd and, and going with it because if you if you're in your mind you've got a kind of a routine uh plans out you've got obviously a destination to get to and you, you know how you want to get there going off that can be maybe a bit daunting a bit kind of uncomfortable and uh i suppose that's why you know the, the people at the top level can feel that and uh be comfortable in kind of uh changing things to like you said work with what the, the crowd are responding to at the time yeah oh, i understand i mean that's like i said that side of thing fascinates me it's it, it's the side of the business that uh, i suppose interests me more because i've never been in that scenario obviously i've never been in the ring i've never done any form of training in any way shape or form but i i think the actual taking of bumps, learning the holds, and so on—that's an incredibly difficult thing to do, of course. Um, and some people get it, some people don't. I understand that, but I think the psychology side of things and learning the timing of those moments and listening to the crowd, as you explained, that interests me even more because that to me is something that you, I think, again, outside looking in. But as you've explained it there, you pick it up with experience, but also you're trying to keep it fresh all the time and it, it, it's, I just find it really, really interesting. Yeah. I mean, again, and no two crowds can potentially be the same as well. So that's, that's when you, it's kind of what you aspire to do because like you, you mentioned yourself, you can practice everything safely, but it's all that kind of reacting to what's going on. It, it, it can, it can lead, lead you into a different direction. And uh, I suppose you, you've got to be real top level kind of experience sometimes to kind of feel that and, and, and move with it. It's something I, you know, I, I really see. I need to work on in my in, in what I do, uh, but the only kind of time you can really react to it is in the moment. There is no kind of uh, kind of practice for it in that respect. You you don't get to practice reacting to a crowd, uh, so it can be the the hardest thing to do. Um, and again, you you have to you have to learn on the job, unless yeah. you're kind of scripting everything from top to bottom which again would maybe make it in certain aspects devoid of what the uh, crowd's doing. It's a big hard thing to pick up on and you can only do it when you're, when you're kind of in the moment. Mm, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, it's all learning as you're doing, I guess. Yeah. yeah. I understand. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, backstage we have Duff, sorry, Buff beaten up, led down on the floor, animal screaming and shouting. Luger turns up, uh, Luger and Animal have a bit of an argument and then Lex stares into space again um, <laughs> and the commentators even point it out going oh look at the stare on Luger and it's not like he's staring directly at Animal or, or looking threatening it's more like he is literally just it reminded me of in EastEnders when somebody gets bad news and say Doc Cotton is sat at a window just staring into space that's what Luger had there Luger had a Doc Cotton face you know that's how it came across to me <laughs> Um, and then we are at our kiss my ass match Dustin and Dusty Rhodes versus Flair and Jarrett uh, Flair enters in a Hawaiian shirt and suit trousers I guess yeah. um, for whatever reason that is Dusty comes out to a really weird off odd rip off of his WWF theme um, it, it was almost his WWF theme, but not quite, because obviously they couldn't use the WWF theme. Yeah. Um, very 
strange. Uh, Flair states he's not wrestling and then wrestles. Um, <laughs> straight away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, straight away. Um, the ref sends Road Warrior Animal to the back, which gets a big reaction from Flair and the crowd. Um, between the four guys in the ring, so Jarrett, Flair, Dusted and Dusty Rhodes, and then the referee as well, there's one hell of a lot of hair dye and bleach going on here, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I think my uh, my boy was there. Uh watching at the same time and he said they were looked looked like the same family so, uh, <laughs> so, yeah yeah jeff jarrett's related to kind of uh rick flair and yeah <laughs> i see where he's coming from <laughs> yeah yeah definitely um when dusty tags in the crowd go nuts this is probably the biggest reaction of the evening i think yeah totally mr agree. rose gets in the ring um but another low blow gives the heels the advantage. <laughs> there was two, wasn't there? Because yeah. Flair did it, and he did it as Flair would do, you know, perfectly. The ref didn't see it. And then Jeff Jarrett did one that was right in front of the ref. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, yeah, just same, same old, same old. Is again, reoccurring theme. <laughs> um, both Flair and Jarrett go for a figure four. Rhodes... Well, roads and roads, I guess. Both kick their opponents off and they crash into each other, which I thought was quite a cool little spot. Yeah. Um, Dustin then is supposed to, I guess, catch Ric Flair in like a small package or an inside cradle as he's bundling around. It doesn't quite catch him correctly. Mm. Maybe slips on the synthetic fibers of that Hawaiian shirt. I don't know. <laughs> and um, rolls up Flair to get the pinfall. Uh, and then we get Dusty Rhodes dropping his trousers, waving his big red pants around. Um, but there's no actual kissing of any arse. So I suppose <laughs> Ric Flair, Jarrett were correct early on. So <laughs> what did you think of this match, my friend? The thing with this is um, you knew it wasn't going to be a kind of, a, a kind of a, an all bumping match with obviously kind of Dusty Rhodes uh, and obviously on the one side. Um, you have to take certain matches as they are. And like you said, Dusty was so over. Um, it was such a big cheer for him, which again, I, I didn't really know what to expect uh, through this. I know obviously Dusty very popular, popular wrestler in his time. But again, 2001, again, he wasn't in the ring all the time, you know, um, but very, very popular. And like I said, it all went pretty much to plan uh, as far as we can see. It's a bit of a loose kind of small package at the finish. But again, it served a purpose. It, it wasn't going to be the best wrestling match on the card. Um, everyone was happy obviously the Rhodes family won and uh, yeah like, I, I was happy with it but just because you know it got such a decent reaction and uh, yeah not everything's going to be a kind of a, a kind of a technical masterclass or a kind of a cruiserweight classic um, it, it definitely served its purpose and uh, again the, the, crowd, the crowd were happy with it yeah yeah I think so I think just seeing Dusty was enough for so many people in attendance there yeah um, and I think obviously Flair at this stage famously wrestles at the last nitro against sting in a t-shirt um <laughs> because he's unhappy with his physical appearance and he's low on confidence and so on so i'm assuming the hawaiian shirt is is part of that same mindset um dustin rhodes is uh, you know i think dustin's a, a good wrestler with the right dancing partner i suppose yeah um so Flair's not on the top of his game. He's, he's not the Ric Flair of old, obviously, at this stage in 2001. Dusty, the same. Um, I think Jeff Jarrett here is a little bit of an unsung hero. I think he really holds the whole thing together for the, for this sort of 10 minutes-ish that it goes. Yeah, agreed. I mean, like I, said, I did, did like the way Dustin was moving. I think, again, it, 
there's been issues in the past with with his kind of uh, um, kind of in and outs of certain of both companies, the big companies. But again, I, I, he looked kind of decent to what I could say. And uh, like I said, Jarrett on the other side, uh, they, they were the two kind of uh, workhorses in the in the match. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then that brings us to our main event for the WCW World Title. The famous big gold belt, which is again one of my all-time favorite title belts. Um, pin force count anywhere, and we have the people's champion or the people's representative, or however they were wording him, the fan favorite of Diamond Dallas Page, and he is up against the champion Scott Steiner. As is the course, I suppose, for WCW. For, for a long, long time, to be honest, in, in the early to mid nineties, Michael Buffer was ring announcing certain things for them. He did yep. a great deal during the NWO era as well. And again, it's just another example, I think, of how uh, how screwed up financially WCW was. Um, Buffer famously, when he first worked for WCW, he was getting paid around five grand every time he said the words "Let's get ready to rumble," <laughs> which is a lot of money and that was back in the 90s mm. by the time we get to 2001 here he is it's quite easy to find this information online and bischoff himself has confirmed it elsewhere and so on that he was getting paid between 25 and 30 grand a show wow. for wcw now i want to put this into context for everyone listening when that was happening in 98 30 grand signed because they were making millions and millions and millions. The NWO t-shirt alone was making them millions of dollars. This is 2001. The company's in the toilet. So the gate for this pay-per-view, as we said, there was only 3,500 in there that had paid. The gate for this pay-per-view is reported. Because you can find all w- a great deal of WCW's financials online since they are, because they're a publicly traded company and since they were shareholders and they've also now um, gone, you know, their best. You can find a lot of their financials online. The gate for this show with the 3,500 uh, 3, odd paying was $117,930. All right. Now, you take into consideration 30000 of that, if Bischoff is to be believed for these figures, was paid to Michael Buffer. That's just over 25% of your gate receipts going to a ring announcer for one match. Yeah, that's the best way to put it into context, isn't it? 25%. <laughs> Unbelievable. But there we go, I suppose, because WCW is WCW because WCW. So, well, he did get all the names right this time, so uh, there was that. Yeah, that's the yeah. No, no, Brett Clark or anything like that. No, that's what I no, think said no, at one stage. Good, 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 <laughs> good <practice by> then. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Shame he didn't have much more to do, really. <laughs> um, Steiner comes. I, I think I'm a massive Steiner fan. This guy is the business. The the siren, the the look, the chainmail, the the bleached beard, the flexing of those crazy enhanced muscles, just everything. Medasia next to him carrying the lead pipe or the title belt for him or whatever. The whole thing. It's just like obviously Luger is his nickname is the total total package. But to me, Steiner in the late nineties, early two thousands, pre WWF. Mm-hmm. he was the total package he could still go in the ring to a certain degree he looked the business and he i think he was going to end up being box office if wcw carried on yeah um, 
I mean, it was uh, it was it's so easy to hate as well. Yeah, it was, it was from word go as well. As soon as the heel turn when he joined the NWO, uh, from then on, it's just you watch it and it's just. I was at the age where you know it was. I want to see you want to see certain characters in that in that way, and it was just like you just liked it when you hated it when he won, and hated obviously how he's coming across. And again, that that's the perfect design, and uh, he did everything to. And in this match, we'll see as well. He did everything to to emphasize that wherever possible as well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're fighting through the crowd fairly early on, aren't they? You've got yeah. Steiner's yelling, shut up, fat ass at Mandy. <laughs> yeah. um, as they go through the crowd, there's a kid there with uh, some crutches, which is obviously a plant. They yeah. take um, they take the crutch, and well, each one uses a crutch on the other at some stage. Um I, 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 these early moments brawling through the crowd and, and so on I really enjoyed yeah yeah it was good it wasn't out of place um, we knew obviously they had the kind of the freedom to do so being a kind of a force count anywhere um, but yeah they were, they were using the environment a table as well and it wasn't kind of overdone either it wasn't kind of well we're dragging this all the way backstage and we're going to go through the backstage and we might come back out to the arena it was it was fairly swift in it's uh, kind of um, kind of movement through the crowd hmm yeah yeah it was uh, yeah it was good uh, you know and it was it was quite solid brawling as well it wasn't sometimes when you when they go through the crowd it's a lot of slaps and there's people getting in the way and security and so on this this looked like this looked like a fight which is kind of the whole point i guess um as they come back towards the ring to get back in to the ring to carry on the contest, there's some weird plastic disc thingy that a fan is holding up. They grab that and smash it over each other's head. And that's actually um, a little cameo there by Paul London, who went on to wrestle in the WWF. He is that fan with the oh, plastic disc. Didn't catch up. Yeah, yeah, not, not the nice first spot. one. Um, <laughs> not the first one because Steiner sort of goes to take one off a fan doesn't he yeah um, and doesn't and goes across to the other side and takes it off a guy in a blue shirt uh, yeah that was that was Paul London I palmed him in the, the face as well yeah <laughs> yeah that's right yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I met Paul London uh, at a show in the Gloucester Leisure Centre a while back oh, right. um, AJ Styles was there and, and Brian Kendrick was there it was a really really good show and I met Paul London and I was, had so many questions for him um, but all he wanted to do was talk to me about my Skid Row t-shirt I had on. Uh, <laughs> and, and then once we covered that and he'd signed what I wanted, I was, we, you know, the queue kind of carried on moving. So my, my opportunity to speak to Paul London about wrestling was actually spent talking about Sebastian Bach, the lead singer of Skid Row. So that was that. <laughs> he ended up asking me questions as opposed that's to the other way around. It's <laughs> a unique conversation to have, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, yeah, we, we then go back into the ring. Um, Steiner hits Paige with a couple of suplexes here and there. Um, does the... And I, I love this as well. I think this is fantastic. It's such a great part of the character. The sort of slow drop-down elbow after he's kissed his bicep. The referee counts to two, and he jumps off and goes, not yet, and starts doing press-ups. <laughs> oh, my yeah. word. What yeah. an arrogant prick. It's brilliant. <laughs> No, it's such a great spot. I, I, I couldn't help, but uh, again, my boy was watching that part with me, and I said, "Just, just watch this. Just watch what we're going to do now." <laughs> yeah, said, yeah. Kind of, uh, I knew it was coming, but uh, yeah, really enjoyed it. I mean, how old is your boy? He is nine in May. Nine. Okay. Yeah, I'm so, um, uh, 
I say quite a bit on this show and, and my other show, Chain Wrestling, that I do with my good buddy Mags. I, I reference my daughter, who is just turned eleven. Yeah, um, she's she's almost like a second opinion on the wrestling I watch because she looks at it from a van, uh, from a viewpoint of uh, I believe she still she still believes if that makes sense. Yeah, and she sees things in a completely different way to you know to me. He's forty years of age and is fed up with some wrestling. <laughs> um, so I think it's really interesting hearing the viewpoints of people such as such as your lad at nine and my daughter at eleven. And I think those opinions are are really great to hear, rather than just sort of sitting in my own bubble. If that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, he still likes watching certain matches as well. So he's catching certain parts early. He wasn't sat there all the whole time, but he's, he was enjoying certain bits, asking who's doing what. Um, again, there's there's not the total kind of. Um, I haven't left it to him to know that you know what's planned and what's not. Because mm-hmm. um, again, the first match he saw saw me do, he was obviously kind of you know, a couple of years ago, a bit younger, you know, six or seven. And he was obviously concerned when I got out of the ring. Yeah. So obviously I had to say, look, I'm okay. I'm okay. It's okay. So, um, yeah, there's, there's, I'd rather have him kind of know certain aspects and, and not others just to kind of, uh, just so he knows obviously uh, his dad's not in a, in a bad shape, obviously when he has as much. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, that's something that, uh, you know, it did sort of pass through my mind a few years ago when I sort of semi-toyed with the idea of maybe having a little go. Mm. But I'm far too old, fat and broken to even entertain that. <laughs> um, and I sort of mentioned it to the wife and the kids, and my daughter straight away said, no, you're not doing that. Because of, of that aspect, yeah. of, of the yeah. mind process, because, again, still very much in in the mindset of they believe. They think what they see, they think this this big muscly fella picking daddy up and dropping him on his head is genuinely trying to do him some damage, you know. So yeah. it's going to be upsetting to them, isn't it? I guess exactly. Um, the great elbow drop spot is followed up a little while later by a bear hug. Um, I mean, it's two thousand and one, not nineteen eighty five, fellas. <laughs> you know, I, I've never been a fan of the bear hug. Uh, say the Bronco Buster as well. Is not that we see one in this match, but no. the bear hug. The bear hug done between two guys of a similar size and the Bronco Buster are two match two moves that I absolutely despise seeing ever. <laughs> <laughs> if you're an absolute giant and you're squashing somebody much smaller than you, yeah, yeah. The, the bear hug makes sense. But here I was just a bit like, oh come on, lads. Like Steiner's <laughs> Steiner's arms are maybe the only redeeming feature of that. Yeah, yeah, good point. Um DDP hits a real nice. He's almost got hold of Steiner's wrist or Steiner's hand, and he hits a a knee that smoothly then moves into a DDT whilst never actually letting go of Steiner's arm. And I yeah. just thought that looked fantastic. Yeah, that was swift. And really see, swift. The, the, only, the only problem with, with it was again nothing wrong with the actual move, but it was quite quickly followed up with obviously Steiner getting back on top and it was just a, another DTT of his. So it's a kind of, it took away a bit of it in isolation, like you said, really, really nice spot. But I think obviously, uh, Scott Steiner puts a move in later and it's a DDT as his next move. It's just like, well, yeah, <laughs> didn't need that because it, t- it t- takes away a bit in the actual, you know, kind of completeness of obviously what the, uh, the move was that, uh, DDP did. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, I, I got, I got a big, you know, a big issue with, the use of the DDT as a sort of, uh, I suppose the term would be transition move, I guess. I'm not sure, yeah. but 
or, or, and super kicks being used left, right, and center as well. I mean, Shawn, again, Shawn Michaels, one of my favorite wrestlers, he won more titles with super kicks, and now you're seeing 30 in a match. It drives me nuts, but that's a story for a different day. We have, <laughs> we have yeah, another super, low yeah. blow. Sorry, yeah, the, the only thing with the super kick, just to add, I said this, it's okay when it's kind of lined up and a lot of impact and they go down and like you finish a match with it. But again, if, if it's like you said, it's used now when people are still standing. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of done to turn them around. It's just yeah, <laughs> use a forearm for that. <laughs> yeah, I'm, okay. Well, I'll quickly discuss it. I mean, the, to me, a big part of it is the realism. To me, a big yeah. part of it is the the suspension of disbelief. That, and there's there's two reasons for my mindset being that way. One is anybody watching with me. So whether that is my young children, or if I, I mean, I used to watch wrestling at my parents house when i lived there if it looked ridiculous my dad would take the piss <laughs> yeah you know um yeah. and i hated that i hated that but he was right in everything he said you know um so to me that's really really important the realism of it mm. and i said the whole suspension of disbelief and so on um also with regards to the realism side of things if I, which I'm not, I'm not in any way, shape or form, but if I was flexible enough Mm. at six foot tall with this amount of weight behind me to lunge towards you with my foot up as high as your face and catch you in the mush with it, you're not going to just turn around and wait for something else to happen. (laughs) You're you're going to hit the floor. I'm a big fella, you know, and and even if, even if you're not a big fella, some small little scrawny guy, kicks you in the mush it's going to have an effect yeah um and you you know like i said Shawn michaels won world titles with that exactly it, dri- it drives me nuts <laughs> no you're exactly right i said it's uh and even to that point where they stay standing is they deliver a move straight back it's just it's kind of used as a kind of very minor strike when it's mm. you know it's, it's a it's been used before as a, a kind of a match finisher yeah Exactly. And don't even bloody get me started on the DDT. I've kept you long enough this evening already. <laughs> another time. Another time. Yeah, that's it. Um, we have another low blow right in front of the ref, which is fantastic. Um, <laughs> I mean, what's our count up to now? 46, 47, something About like that? that, yeah. Yeah. Right there. yeah. Um, Paige hits one of the most over moves in wrestling in this era, the diamond cutter. Um, I still refer to it as a diamond cutter now, even though everyone says RKO to me, it's still a diamond cutter because that's what I watched when I was younger. Um, Rick Steiner runs in and saves Scott from taking the pin, which I I thought that was well done because obviously the diamond cutter, no one's ever kicked out of it at this stage. Um, so it's really well protected move and everyone knows that if he hits the diamond cutter, it's over. That's the whole backing of this move. So the fact that Rick runs in and does what he does, means that you get the pop from the crowd for hitting this move, but Scott doesn't lose the title because he's still, you know, he hasn't kicked out of the pin. Uh, yeah. It sort of ticks all the boxes, I think, doesn't it? It keeps everything protected, I suppose. Yeah, agreed. Um, the crowd are chanting for Bill Goldberg at this stage, who doesn't arrive. Um, we get a belt shot from Scott Steiner on his opponent for a very close two count and the crowd pop big when page kicks out of that. Um, and then we get quite an interesting end to the match. I think with page bleeding a gusher similar to Steve Austin at WrestleMania 13 when Bret Hart's yeah. got him in the sharpshooter. Yeah. Um, we have a Boston crab page gets the ropes, the first Steiner recliner page gets the ropes 
um oh i keep forgetting her name madeja madeja yeah yeah um distracts the referee steiner uh gets some really dodgy looking shots in with with the metal pipe that he used to carry around yeah it doesn't quite i think get the desired effect with with how he's using using that excuse me um but then we get steiner a cleaner again Page in a bloody mess effectively passes out and Steiner retains the championship and then carries on beating on Page for a little bit longer as we go off the air. So that was the last ever pay-per-view from WCW, a company that I hold very dear to my heart. It's a sad, sad way to go out with that company sort of you know, whimpering away rather than having the big bang Bischoff spoke about. Um, what were your thoughts in general about the main event, Eric? Well, yeah, I think you, you build your, you show around your main event and uh, I think it delivered really well. Yes. Um, again, it's almost like it would have taken it an extra level if they had a, few, a bit more, you know, a few more minutes. So if you're going to be play Booker in hindsight, I'd I'd leave that tag match earlier, the the one minute match as it was, because it served that purpose. And if you're going to siphon some minutes from those earlier um, kind of uh, earlier matches, the first two matches, pop it on the end of here. And again, it had everything it needed, but a, a bit more time, and they could have maybe kind of fulfilled that story a bit further, maybe. Um, again, not taking anything away from what happened, but again, no match on the on the whole card went over 15 minutes at all. Mm. Um, so, um, but again, like I said, had everything. I had the kind of the kind of suspense from we see the kind of uh, the diamond cutter being hit and not doing the job. There was obviously kind of um, he was busted open from the, the kind of title shot as well. So it's just adding that kind of uh, uh, kind of suspense. Where it, 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 it did work. It was it, it was kind of uh, it wasn't just blood for the sake of blood, and uh, the whole kind of navigating themselves around the arena and the spots there as well. It was a really good main event and. Um, when you, when you have that at the top, um, you know it, it kind of it makes the pay per view classed as a kind of a, a, a decent pay per view because uh, that's what people are going home after they watched. You know, it's the, the kind of the, the last thing they see. Yeah, I get you. I get a start strong, finish strong. I think is what yeah. I read. I don't know who said that. I don't know if that was Bischoff or Pritchard or someone. I'm not sure, but um, yeah, that's what resonates with that. I guess. Um, I agree. Actually, with maybe a couple more minutes would have been would have been good. Uh, I enjoyed the match. To be fair, I I enjoyed the match. I always enjoy Scott Steiner anyway. Page is is on his day. I think Page is very good as well. Um, there's a lot going on in the match with the brawling on the outside, the pipe, the belt shot, Rick Steiner mm-hmm. coming down, Medeja being involved, eighty six low blows, and all that sort of nonsense. <laughs> um, <laughs> So I think maybe if there was an extra couple of minutes, they could have spaced that out a touch more. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think I think you, you really you know you're hitting there on the head there. I think you're spot on. Um, what we always do then, myself and my guest, when we look back on old pay per views, is we give them uh, an old school type grade. So you know A, B, C, minus whatever um, to how you felt about this show. Obviously, an A plus plus star, etc., is the best pay per view of all time. Going down to an F or even an ungraded, if it's that freaking bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, what would you rate this show, sir? I think, all things considered, uh, personally, I think it's a C plus, edging maybe onto a B minus. 
Um, it just I know that the, the people on the card there's, there was there was more to be got out of them with the form of pay per view quality matches. Um, it's definitely above average uh, as far as that goes. But again, I just just don't know if I can kind of put my name into a, a B minus, but I'd probably stick with a C plus overall. Yeah, okay. I, I mean, you make some good points there to to sort of back up that grade. I mean, for me, I think it's it, it's a flat C. Um, it's I suppose it, on a school rating, a C was a pass, but it's nothing spectacular if that makes <laughs> yeah. sense. So um, I I watched the whole show. I didn't feel like I wanted to turn it off at any stage, but then at the mm. same time, there was nothing there that makes I don't feel I want to rush back and watch anything again. If, that, mm. if you know what I mean, yeah. So I think maybe for an a, an okay show that didn't offend me in any way, but there was nothing spectacular. I think a C is 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 a fair enough grade from myself. Yeah, I think your justification is making me uh, happy. I didn't put my name to a B minus now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's your grade. It's your show, my friends. Don't you worry great. about that. <laughs> that could be great for the C plus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, okay. Um, before I let you go, would you be so kind as to let everyone listening know whereabouts they can find you on all the social media platforms, yourself, uh, the GL2 team, and so on? Yeah, so uh, for myself, uh, it's Eric Fort Myers uh, throughout every social media, so Twitter on occasion, mainly Instagram and Facebook. I'm just very str- struggling to find myself on, obviously, with the team one, but you search for GL2. Uh, as a sports team on uh, on um, on Facebook, and it's, uh, it's at GL2 Wrestling, uh, I believe, on uh, Instagram as well. So we're uh, starting to put a bit more kind of content on there. Recently, done some uh, more photos together with uh, our updated kind of kit, and uh, I'm sure in time there'll be some more kind of training videos and um, and workout videos and bits and pieces to go on there as we kind of hopefully get into a position where kind of shows are announced and. Uh, we've got the route back to getting back onto doing some actual live events. Yeah, definitely. I'm really looking forward to uh, just being able to go somewhere with my kids, uh, have a beer and watch some wrestling again. I can't wait to see yourself, Ryan and, and the rest of the evolution crew back in action. Um, it's a great miss in my household going to watch live wrestling. So I really look forward to the day when that is back up and running properly. Um, Rye, on his last visit to the show, mentioned about a possibility of you two coming on at the same time to potentially look at a show together. Uh, yeah. We'll just figure that one out and get you back on yourself, on, on your Todd as well. Maybe look yeah. at another pay-per-view, uh, maybe a show you've never seen before or something you really enjoy or, or something along those lines. How would you fancy that? Well, this it, this was the one I hadn't seen. So, okay. Uh, I think I was hoping to get a familiar one next time. but uh... <laughs> Yeah, sure. But yeah, um, this is the one that um, one that came to mind before was uh, when I first mentioned it was uh, WrestleMania eight, I think it was. So um, yeah, that was that was kind of the one uh, uh, very familiar with and obviously watched before. So uh, yeah, kind of uh, got passion regarding that one. Okay, well there we go. We'll get you back on and we'll look at WrestleMania eight. Perfect. No problem. Um, you can find me on Twitter at SJP Words. You can find the show on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at SJP Wrestling Pod. And whilst you are there, also seek out my other show, uh, Chain Wrestling, which is at Chain underscore Wrestling that I host with my good buddy Mags. Get involved there. We do a 
vote every week on Twitter to decide which match we watch next and we basically just poke fun at ourselves the world of wrestling and it's just basically two 40 something year old grumpy men acting like right plonkers so seek us out there but if you find me at sjp words there's links to all my shows and content there uh eric thank you so so much for spending this evening with me discussing the final wcw pay-per-view i've had a great time no it's been an absolute pleasure it's uh surprisingly a lot easier to talk about this than it was to talk about myself so uh you made that nice uh, <laughs> nice and easy as a conversation but uh yeah really good content to get stuck into and uh really enjoyable watching something uh that's uh, kind of 20 20 years old now making me feel old but uh yeah very much enjoyable show to watch and talk about yeah i look forward to having you back on as well uh, you know on your on your own and with your partner in crime roy stevens as well sometime in the future well that'll be great Okay, thanks again, Eric, and to everyone else, thank you for listening.